1984 was a big year for Western democracy. Just hearing the date can bring an unpleasant feeling, even if you weren't alive then, because of a certain book revolving around that year, George Orwell's 1984. I don't think I need to spend too much time describing the book. Even if you haven't read it, you know what it's about. We get the ideas of Big Brother, thought crime, and doublespeak from the book. And we're all familiar with the Ministry of Truth, the Ministry of Peace, the Ministry of Love and Plenty, and how they do the opposite of what they claim to do. The book was published in 1949, a few years after the beginning of the Cold War. And by the time the actual year, 1984, was on the horizon, the Orwellian dystopia of the book 1984 wasn't just fiction anymore. It was the literary reference point of everything America and other democracies were desperately trying to fight off. And when the year 1984 came and went, and Western democracy was still standing, there was a collective sigh of relief that Orwell's prophecy wasn't accurate to the point of nailing the date of totalitarianism's takeover of the free world. The year came and went, and the Cold War was still raging on. But a year later, in 1985, author and professor Neil Postman published a little book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and he opened the book with a pretty bold claim. It wasn't George Orwell's vision of the future that we should have been afraid of. Instead, there was someone else's vision for the future, and his vision is the one that we should have been afraid of, but it was buried and forgotten in George Orwell's dark shadow. The author was Aldous Huxley. The name of the book was called Brave New World, and his vision was equally as dark, but not on the surface. There is an oppressive totalitarianism in Huxley's vision of the future, but it's not externally forced on us by the state, which is part of the reason why America, still several years away from the end of the Cold War, found Orwell so terrifying. Instead, the oppressive totalitarianism is caused by us. I'll let Neil Postman, as read by my wife, explain. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. Neil Postman's book was subtitled Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business, and his thesis was television was doing more than just giving us cheap entertainment, but that it was shaping the way we think about politics and religion and education, and that, whether we intended to or not, we were putting color on the canvas of Huxley's Brave New World. His book soon became a hit and would go on to sell 200,000 copies and be translated into several languages. Neil didn't hate television. On the contrary, he praised what he called junk television, which included classics like The A-Team and Cheers. But he was deeply concerned 
that the way politics, education, science, journalism, and so many other issues were being reshaped by the demands set by television as a medium. As his son Andrew recalls in the introduction to the 20th anniversary edition of Amusing Ourselves to Death, one time Neil appeared on television to discuss the thesis of his book and noted that as they were having this serious conversation about the health of society and culture, a mandatory television break was arriving within the next 30 seconds so that colorful, banal advertisements for toothpaste or cars or whatever could be aired and it would put a forced end to a necessary discussion. The news anchor corrected him, though. The commercials weren't coming in 30 seconds. They were coming in 10 seconds. Neil would pass away from lung cancer in October 2003. But two months before his passing, several employees from a marketing firm called E-Universe would band together and launch a little-known website called MySpace. And just as the world was changed through the advent of television and eventually the internet, the world was about to be changed again through the advent of social media. We're now 15 years removed from the humble beginnings of MySpace, And with MySpace, not only came social media, but it helped fuel the explosive beginnings of the smartphone era and the trend of adding smart in front of every fancy new gadget, whether it's a smart TV, a smart thermostat, a smart car, everything is smart now. And even when the word smart doesn't necessarily fit in front of something, the word reality could be used instead, as we're starting to see in words like augmented reality and virtual reality as those technologies become more popular and readily available. I enjoy watching shows on my gorgeous 55-inch 4K TV, and I look forward to the day when I can upgrade to 8K and whatever comes beyond after that. Needless to say, we're living in a time where technology is growing, changing, expanding, evolving, and it's pretty awesome. We know all of this, and we can go on and on about how technology makes our lives easier and, and better, more comfortable, and more fun. But yet, in the last year and a half, there's been a slow-moving wake-up call for society as we begin to grapple with some of the unintended consequences of the technology and media we thought would bring us so much joy and happiness. When we signed up for our various social media accounts, we had no idea it would change the political landscape and come to play such a significant role in our elections. When we picked up our smartphones from our providers, we had no idea that smartphone addiction would become a buzzword of growing concern. When we signed up for Netflix to binge watch The Office, we had no idea that someday we would be discussing the merits of a show centered around a teenager's suicide and how this show would lead to a documented increase in teenager suicide across the nation. We were so enthralled with the possibilities of this new technology and the hype behind this new media that we didn't consider asking if there would be any downsides mixed in with the upsides. And as we are now realizing, perhaps the downsides are greater than we first thought they would be. It's why Apple and Google are rolling out features into iPhones and Androids designed at curtailing smartphone usage. 
It's why Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg was called to testify before Congress about the role Facebook played in the 2016 presidential election. It's why health authorities are beginning to sound the alarm on the dangers of Netflix binging, on consumers' mental health, and even how binge-watching impacts the way we go to sleep at night. And I haven't even gone into the epidemic of pornography, or the way that the laws currently can't handle cyberbullying among teenagers, not to mention the threat of automation leaving skilled workers without jobs and a bunch of other issues. Our technology has changed the world, but maybe not in ways that we wanted it to. And while all the questions about social media changing politics or smartphones giving rise to addiction are perfectly good and valid questions, I think there's an even more pressing question for Christians to ask. How have these changes in technology and media changed our theology? How has it changed the way we think of the Bride of Christ? How has it changed the way we love our neighbor? I know that with these questions, we can point to many ways where technology and media have changed these things for the better, and I know that certainly is true for me. Social media allows us to connect with other believers from all over the world and to encourage and support each other from incredible distances. Smartphones allow for powerful apps that can help us stay in the Word during the day. Digital ebook services have made reading books cheaper and more convenient, whether it's the newest works of bright new authors or cheap public domain copies of old dead theologians. A whole economy has opened up for people with skills and training in these new fields that provide new avenues of creativity, expression, and management. And I personally get to experience all three of these as a social media manager and content creator for a church. But what about the ways where technology and media have changed things for the worst? Because even though I can point to a dozen examples where technology and media have positively benefited my theology and blessed my relationship with my neighbor, I can also think of dozens of ways where the opposite has happened. The same social media that allows me to connect to other believers all over the world also shows me a world of unbelievable brokenness and despair. Despair that creeps into my mind. And leads me to question the goodness of God, given how many voices cry out in pain online. The same smartphone that allows me to spend time in the Word at any time also gives me the greatest get-out-of-boredom-free device that allows me to tune out and bear through any unpleasant situation. It also allows me to snub any annoying person that I don't want to talk to. What about the internet? How has being immersed in a world where the internet is readily available anywhere and everywhere changed the way I absorb and process information? What have I gained and what have I lost by not having to internalize facts and knowledge, but by simply knowing where I can go to find the information that I need? How does the internet, as a medium, change the way I think about God, about church, about the Bible? about ministry, about theology, about my friends, about my family, about politics, about society, about life. And that's what this podcast is about. It's not about convincing you to throw your MacBooks out the window, 
pack your things, and move to the middle of nowhere, free from any technological influence whatsoever. Nor is it about instilling a fear of the device you're currently listening to this episode on, as though there were some big, grand conspiracy to turn you into some kind of mindless zombie. Instead, Breaking the Digital Spell is a podcast about asking questions about the technology and media we take for granted, and honestly assessing the full range of impact that they have on our lives and on our theology. Specifically for this first season, we are going to look at the various evolutions of technology throughout history, from writing to the printing press to television to the internet, and look ahead into the future and examine how that whenever these technological breakthroughs occur, our theology changes with the times. And we need to ask ourselves, what changes are on the horizon? What does this mean for the future of the church, for the future of evangelism, for the future of living as a faithful, ordinary Christian? Buried underneath all of these questions is an even more important one. Why does this even matter? Well, I would submit to you that these questions matter because if we believe that we are called to fulfill the Great Commission, we can't effectively do that without understanding the world we are being sent out into. We cannot share the gospel with our neighbor well if we do not understand our neighbor. And we can't understand our neighbor unless we understand ourselves. We cannot love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength if we do not understand how our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies are being captured and captivated by the technology and media we consume and interact with. We can't break into a world ruled by distractions, from text messages to Twitch streams, from email to esports to social media to schedules, noise, and nonsense if we do not first understand how our lives are affected by these distractions. In a world dominated by digital mediums, we must understand what these mediums do to us if we are to faithfully proclaim the gospel in and through and around these mediums. And the first step in doing that is to do what Neil Postman outlined in the conclusion of his little book. These questions, and dozens more like them, are the means through which it might be possible for Americans to begin talking back to their television sets. For no medium is excessively dangerous if its users understand what its dangers are. This is an instance in which the asking of the questions is sufficient. To ask is to break the spell. I want to thank everyone who is helping me make this podcast a reality. Chief among them would be Andrew Akins, who is helping me produce this podcast by taking charge of the editing, mixing, and mastering for each episode, as well as recording the music beds that you hear throughout each episode. Literally, this podcast would not exist without him. I also want to thank my wife, Melissa, who was the lovely other voice you heard in this episode for being willing to read the quotes that I've pulled from these episodes, as well as being my general sounding board, my best critic, and my best friend. You can like the Facebook page for Breaking the Digital Spell and follow the show on Twitter at Digital Spell, where I will be posting articles and other writings relevant to each week's episode throughout the week that they're released. And please, if you listen to the show, 
please consider subscribing and leaving a review. New episodes will be released every Tuesday morning for the remainder of the year. My name is Austin, and together we are breaking the digital spell.